Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. I used to love the television show, The A-Team. Uh, I, I watched that over and over again. And uh, at the end, after they had finished their mission uh, as a military unit, they had a leader, and he'd, he'd put this big old cigar in his mouth, and he would say, I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> well, I want to tell you something. There was a plan that came together 2,000 years ago, and it's the greatest plan in history. The plan of God's Son coming to earth to be born as a little child. And uh, it has made all the difference in my life and in so many people's lives over the years. And uh, we need to understand what that plan is and align ourselves with his plan so that we can receive all that he came to give us. This scripture is a scripture that predicts the coming of Jesus. Yet another prophecy as we've been going through these different prophecies of Christmas. Uh, this one is perhaps the most remarkable prophecy uh, in terms of describing who Jesus is as the Son of God. Um, but it's also a prophecy of hope. Because as Isaiah was talking about uh, the land of Ephraim and Naphtali, uh, these lands were among the first taken captive by the Assyrian armies when they took the northern kingdom of Israel captive. And uh, they were punished for sin. They were in a dark place as tribes of Israel. And even as these first tribes were being taken captive by Assyria, Isaiah gives a message of hope and he says there's a child that's coming who's going to change all of that. And a matter of fact, he's going to live in the very lands that are being judged right now. The land of Ephraim and Naphtali, also known as Galilee. And uh, we know from the New Testament that Jesus uh, and his parents fled Bethlehem under Herod's rule because he was going to try to kill Jesus. And they went down to Egypt and they stayed there for, for a, a season of time. And then God told them it's safe to go back. They went back and Archelaus, son of Herod, was ruling. And so they didn't want to go back into the land of Judea. So they went north and they settled in a place called Nazareth. In Galilee, Nazareth sounds very similar to the word branch, um, and so very fitting. But Jesus came to live in this very place and that there would be hope for sinners. I'm so glad that Jesus brings hope for sinners because I am one, and so are you. Uh, so uh, this is a message of hope, and, and this, this hope would come... Not just in any way, but it would come through a specific individual in history who would fulfill a specific description in history. And that individual, of course, is Jesus Christ. And so we need to repent and put our trust in Jesus for salvation and continue to surrender to him as Lord, as believers in Christ, so that we can be a part of his great plan for our lives. The title of my message is God's Great 
plan. Look with me at verse 1. It says, Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have now enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast. Its prosperity will never end. And he will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. The Lord sent a message against Jacob and it came against Israel. And so... um, God's great plan. God's great plan. What is God's great plan? It is, first of all, to bring a great honor. A great honor. Verse 1 says, in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. Hear me. God has always had the Gentiles in his heart. You remember when God told Abraham, he said, I'll make you a great nation. He says, all the nations of the earth will be blessed in you. It's always been God's plan to reach the nations. Jesus didn't come to die just for Judea. He did come to die for Judea. He did come to die for the people of Israel and to restore, ultimately to restore the land of Israel. But he died for all who would repent and put their faith and trust in him. He says, in the future. This this is future to Isaiah. By the way, hundreds of years into the future. um, He will bring honor. What was this honor? The honor was that Jesus Christ, the Messiah himself, would come to dwell in their land. In Moses' day, the people of Israel had been told by God to build a tabernacle, and they did that, and they, they arranged all of the, the articles of the tabernacle and, and the uh, uh, pieces of furniture and so forth in the tabernacle, exactly as God said. And the Bible says that when they did this, the very glory of God came down. The Shekinah glory of God came down upon that tabernacle and filled it. No one could enter the tabernacle because the glory of God was upon the tabernacle. For the first time in history, God had come to dwell with a people upon the earth. 
this was very significant. Same thing happened in Solomon's day as he dedicated the temple. The scripture says he, he sacrificed all these animals and made all these preparations and gave a great pronouncement. Listen, Israel, we need to serve God and we need to serve him wholeheartedly. And the glory of God fell upon that temple. I'm so glad that God has given his promise if my people who were who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal their land. Our land needs some healing today. But can I tell you, I know the man who can do it, and his name is Jesus Christ. So God honored the people of Israel by his presence coming to dwell. He would honor Galilee of the nations by sending Jesus dwell there but can I tell you there's a great honor when Jesus ascended to heaven he said when I ascend to heaven I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit and the scripture tells us in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit of God fell upon the early church and now dwells within the heart of every person who repents and puts their faith in Jesus Christ so that the Shekinah glory has now fallen into the hearts of those who place their faith in Jesus. Can I tell you what a great honor that is? I'm not worthy of that honor. I'm a sinful vessel, but praise God, Jesus paid the price for my sin. He, he lived the righteous life I couldn't live. He died the death I deserved. And he said, it is finished. The price has been paid and, and he washed me and cleansed me with his blood. And the very Shekinah glory of God came to dwell within my breast. This is all because of Jesus. What a great honor. Jesus' great plan, God's great plan from before creation was this great honor of dwelling with us. And Jesus himself says, I will never leave you. Or forsake you. What are you going through right now? Uh, what difficulty and challenge? Can I tell you, if you're a child of God, the Lord Jesus Christ is with you. That began at Christmas 2,000 years ago. It began when Jesus was born. Couldn't have happened without it. So God's great plan, first of all, was to bring a great honor. Secondly, to bring a great light, a great light. Look at verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. A great light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. We talked about the prophecy in Numbers Wednesday night about the fact that a star will come out of Jacob. And we, we talked about the fulfillment of a, of a, uh, a star-like uh, thing that God made to lead the wise men to Jesus. But the star also represented the individual who would come. He would be the light of the world. Revelation calls Jesus the bright and morning star. You see this light, uh, John describes it in, in John chapter 1. He says, we beheld his glory. As one of the only begotten from the Father, there was no one like him. 
In Jesus, we saw the one who is God. We saw what God would do in different human circumstances. But we also saw the living truth of God's word lived out before us. No light has ever shined like that light shone. Um, Jesus is the living word. He says, I am, I am the word. I am the, the truth. I am the life. And so this light, it was represented in the Jewish tabernacle by a menorah. This menorah. It, menorah was, was a picture of Israel and their mission to be a light to the world. But it was also a picture of the word of God. That was a light to the world. It was a picture uh, of the fact that uh, Jesus would come. Every piece of the tabernacle furniture looked forward to Jesus. But Jesus is the light of the world. As those great uh, flames were shooting up to the sky in the Israel's feast, Jesus cries out, I am the light of the world. Those of you who know Jesus Christ know what he does when he shines his light in your heart. I, I, uh, I remember um, when I first surrendered my, my life to Christ. And, you know, uh, I knew what I was supposed to do. I'd been raised in the Bible preaching church. And I knew what was right and what was wrong. And I knew I was doing wrong. And I was carrying the guilt of that wrong. And. Uh, I was also empty. Uh, I lacked purpose in my life. And I remember just, uh, just at times feeling just the greatness of that emptiness. Um, but I was unwilling to surrender to Christ. And, and as, as the Holy Spirit of God began to deal with me, I wrestled with that. But I came to the point about a year later where I, I surrendered my heart to Christ. And the light came on. Have you ever been in a dark room and you turn on the light? Uh, I, I noticed the gray skies today. Sometimes you just need a little bit of a mood change, don't you? You ever been in a house and said, boy, it's just depressing outside. I'm going to turn some lights on. It's, you know, get, make, make it cheer it up a little bit in here. It's depressing, right? And, and so we flip the lights on. Sherry had those uh, the little, angel, I don't know what you call those things, twinkle lights, angel lights or whatever. But uh, she used those. My parents had their uh, 50th anniversary party yesterday. And she took all that stuff after we t tore all that stuff down. She took all that stuff and she put those angel lights all, all around in different places. And I'd gone in to get ready for bed last night. And she, she turned all those things on and turned all the other lights off. And all there was was the Christmas tree and these angel lights everywhere and the different things. I mean, it was, it was a mood. I, I started to break out into uh, old little town of Bethlehem. But, I mean, it was awesome. And, uh, uh, but light, I mean, you could do all kinds of things with light. Some of you have seen Shadrachs. If you haven't, you need to do that. that that's an experience. Uh, it's beautiful. All these lights going off and, and all these things. But listen, I want to tell you the most significant light to ever shine was Jesus Christ. And he is the only one who can shine a spiritual light into a human heart and change it forever. And that's what Jesus did at the cross. Um, as we grow in our relationship with him, he continues to shine his light. He opens the truths of his word to us. He shows us his way. That's one thing a light does, doesn't it? It shows you the way so you don't trip. 
Some of you have stubbed your toe in the dark in the morning, and uh, hopefully you didn't say any unchristian words uh, when you did that. But uh, uh, listen, we know the value, right? The light shows us the way. Jesus shows us the way. And as you surrender your life to him, you can begin to enter into life as God intended it. Now, it won't be perfect in this life, but you can begin to enter in to some of these blessings as you follow Christ and then have the hope of one day when it will be perfect. So Jesus came to shine a great light. And can you imagine the light that must have been shined as as Jesus walked around Galilee as he was healing the sick and he was raising the dead and he was touching the eyes of the blind and he was preaching. You remember those guards that were sent to arrest Jesus? They were sent to arrest Jesus and they're hearing him teach. They they were spellbound. They, They forgot all the reason they came. They said, nobody ever spoke like this man before. What was it about Jesus? He was the light. And that same light is still shining through the Word of God, through the people of God as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, and is shining in the hearts of those who place their faith and trust in Him. The Scripture teaches us that one day when Jesus returns and Uh, There's a new heaven and a new earth and new Jerusalem that Jesus himself and the Father will be the light for the new earth. There won't be a need for a son because Jesus will be the light. That's going to be some kind of light. The scripture um, tells us that the new Jerusalem is just a city. Uh, But the the city of the new Jerusalem is as wide as two-thirds of the United States just as, just as the length, width, and height are all the same measurement, uh, and it's two-thirds the size of the United States wide. That's a big city. If that's just the city that we're going to have, can you imagine the size of the new earth? Yet the Scripture says that the Lamb will be its light. Listen, you and I are going to have to have glorified bodies because we won't be able to stand it to be in His presence. We would die. God's going to have to give us an upgraded model. Some of you are like, yes, hallelujah, praise God, come Jesus. Give me that glorified body. But uh, this, this body that we're going to have will be able to be in the presence of the unveiled glory of the Son of God. He is the light of the world. So God's great plan was to bring honor A great honor, a great light. Thirdly, a great joy. Look at verse 3. It says, you've enlarged the nation and increased its joy. By the way, verse 1 says it's about a future time, but he speaks of it in the past tense in these verses because it's called a prophetic perfect. It means he's speaking in the past tense because it is so certain to happen. It's the promise of God. So, He says, you have increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time, as they rejoice when dividing the spoils. I think of dividing the spoils. I think of my kids when they were little. And uh, it is so neat, so exciting uh, to see kids get excited at Christmas about their gifts and open their gifts and everything. And I can remember the first few years I saw my kids doing that, I just get emotional. Because there was so much, there was just sheer delight 
in their faces as they were tearing through all those gifts, you know, all the, the grandparents. They had like the equivalent of four sets of grandparents because Sherry's siblings don't have kids. And so, uh, I mean, they had, you know, they were just tearing through it like a cyclone. You know, if some of you who are old enough to remember the Tasmanian devil, that's what I was observing. I mean, it was something else. Uh, but there was just sheer delight. This is the joy that Jesus comes to bring. Peter uh, spoke of this joy in 1 Peter. 1 Peter, by the way, is a book on suffering. So it's not joy that is dependent on circumstances. It's joy that supersedes circumstances. He said, we have experienced joy unspeakable and full of glory. This joy comes about as a fruit of the Holy Spirit. As you are surrendered to the Spirit, as you are choosing uh, to trust Him and follow Him in your life, um, along with that comes His joy. It's a part of the fruit of walking in the Spirit of God. Some of you have experienced this. You've taken your burdens to God in prayer, and as you've prayed and you've thanked God for the different things and, and cast your burdens at His feet in prayer, His peace and His joy have come, and it, you can't explain it. It's... It, the circumstances are the same, but your heart is different, and there's a joy within. But this is just the down payment. The Bible says that God has given us the Spirit as a down payment of what is yet to come. So, yes, if you know Christ, if you've repented and trusted Christ as your Savior, you can have these times of joy in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. But it's just a taste. The best is yet to come. Now, I, I don't know about you, but uh, the down payment on my house was not all I had to pay. There's a whole lot more I had to pay. Wouldn't it be great if all you had to pay was the down payment? But uh, the down payment is what we have now. The full dosage, the full measure is yet to come. The sheer delight of God's people could only come through Jesus coming to this earth to be born and ultimately to save us from sin at the cross. Um, this great joy. What an amazing thing. Um, he came to bring a great honor, a great light, a great joy. Next, a great victory. Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, You have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. That's, he's talking about Gideon. You remember Gideon's great victory at Midian? 300 men defeated the Midian hordes, and uh, God sent them into confusion. They killed each other. Um. He says, verse 5, for every trampling, every, every trampling boot of battle and the blooded garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. There'll be no more war. Obviously, that is yet to come. He's the second coming. He's going to rule uh, over a peaceable kingdom that will last for a thousand years and then ultimately give people who are born during that thousand-year period a chance to repent um, and then usher in the eternal state with the new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem. But this great victory will be, there'll be no more war. 
When you have the sovereign of the universe ruling and reigning, there's nobody who can come against him. (laughs) His rule will be complete, and it will be a kingdom unlike anything we've ever experienced. He'll renovate this earth, and he'll bring it back to the way it was in the Garden of Eden. And there'll be a great victory. I can't even really fathom a world where there's no war. Where you don't have to prepare for war. We know that you you, kind of have to prepare for war and have a strong military might to deter other people from attacking you in the world that we live in, right? In that day, because of Jesus' great power, he will be the deterrent. There'll be no need for a military. Because Jesus will be the ruler and the king. And all of the implements of battle will be done away with. And will be a thing of the past. No mothers will stand beside the graves of sons killed in war. No heartbreak will take place because of the devastation and the difficulty and the hardship of war. We had a, a lady uh, that was in my first church. Uh, she actually met her husband. He was an American GI in, uh, in uh, Germany, and he met her. And they didn't support Hitler. They kind of hit it off, and they got married. She came back to the States, and she carried a German Bible with her. It's a D-Bibel uh, with her. And uh, she read out of the German Bible, but... Uh, uh, she shared with me one time about how much she, the German she and her family suffered during the time of the war. She said it was a hard time. Uh, we struggled to find food to eat, and uh, you know. And uh, she said we didn't like Hitler. You know, he was doing. He, we disagreed with him. He was doing what we thought was wrong, uh, but we suffered as well as the rest of the German people, uh, as. This war was going on. That will never happen again when Jesus is ruling. He will come to bring a great victory. Now, let me tell you something. He's already begun that victory. That victory was begun at Calvary's cross, but it was also begun in the manger. Because what this scripture, I'm getting ready to read this scripture to you. It says, for a child is born to us. In other words, the reason for all of this is Jesus. So when Jesus was born, we were assured of the promise of God that these things would take place. Now, at the cross, Jesus defeated Satan definitively. He crushed the serpent's head. I want to tell you something. Satan is powerful, and he is smarter than we are, but he's a defeated foe. And in the name of Jesus Christ, we have power. I love uh, what Martin Luther says in that old hymn written in the 1600s. He says, uh, his craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth, none is his equal. But then he goes on to say, one little word will fail him. Put him down. Knock him down. Defeat him. It's the name of Jesus Christ. See, the victory has already been won. We live under the authority of a victorious Savior who has won the victory on our behalf.
it's our heritage as his people. So, um, victory is your heritage. Listen, we serve a risen Savior. He's conquered the grave. Victory is his middle name. There's nothing he can't help us with. The old nature is not too strong for him to overcome. The power of the enemy is not too strong to overcome. Our lack of faith, he can supply it. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. The problems that we face. We were looking at the scripture in Luke this morning where the angel told Mary, he said, look, Elizabeth is is pregnant with a son in her old age because nothing will be impossible with God. This is the victory that we have as his people. But it all came because of Jesus. There would be no victory without Jesus. So, God's great plan was to bring a great honor, a great light, a great joy, a great victory, and finally a great Savior. This is the best part of all. Look at verse 6. For a child will be born for us. Let me just stop right there. When we talked about Isaiah seven fourteen, the virgin will conceive, bear a son, call his name Emmanuel, God is with us. This is what she was talking about. The children of the Old Testament prophecies look forward to the ultimate child that would be born, Jesus Christ. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. The Jewish people knew what this meant. He would be a descendant of David. He would establish the Davidic line forever. He would be the eternal Davidic king. He will be named Wonderful Counselor. And I'll tell you something, a lot of people, and there's nothing wrong with counseling, there's nothing wrong with going to counseling. Some people put all their trouble, uh, all their faith in counselors. And if you get one that doesn't believe the right things, they're going to lead you astray. But can I tell you something? Jesus is the wonderful counselor. There's no counsel like he gives. It says he will be called the mighty God. There's no other individual in history that can fulfill this description but Jesus Christ. He is the one who spoke to the winds and the waves. What manner of man is this who speaks to the wind and the waves and they obey him? This Jesus who came in the presence of the demoniac who was inhabited by an entire legion of demons. The demoniac comes and falls at his feet and cries out, please don't torment us. This is the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the one who said, as Martha and Mary wept by the tomb, your brother will rise again. Martha said, yeah, I I know he'll he'll rise in the resurrection. No, you, you don't understand. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, I do. Jesus walked over to the tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth. He got up. He's bound up with these things. can barely walk. Loose him and let him go. This is the Savior we have. Only Jesus can fit the description, mighty God. And after he 
took the penalty at the cross. He arose on the third day. Now, people can argue what they want to argue about the validity of of, uh, claims of prophecies being fulfilled. But can I tell you something? When somebody comes out of a tomb, that puts an exclamation point upon everything that that person has said and everyone else has said about that person. Jesus is alive. 500 people saw him. Paul said, go talk to people. This wasn't done in the corner. Go talk to people. 500 people have seen him. We've touched him. We've interacted with him. We've seen him eat. Jesus is alive. Only Jesus fits the description, mighty God. Eternal Father. Now, here's here's something to think about. Don't think that Jesus came into existence at, at Bethlehem. He didn't. He was born as a child. He came into existence as a child, a human child at Bethlehem. But he has always existed. He's the eternal father. He is the great I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And uh, the, the idea of father is that he cares for us. And then he says he is the prince of peace. He's the prince who brings peace. And we've talked about that. Look at verse 7. His dominion will be vast. Its prosperity will never end. Sometimes on the radio I hear them talk about bull markets and bear markets. Y'all hear that? You know, and they talk about, okay, well, you know, if the economy's doing good for a while, there comes a point at which there's a downturn, right? That's just the way it works. Well, He says its prosperity will never end. And he will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Can I, want to, I want to tell you something. God did not reluctantly send Jesus. It's not that God said, you know, if, if it was me, I probably wouldn't, I, I, probably, I, I know I wouldn't give my son for somebody else. Okay? I wouldn't. If I did, I'd probably do it reluctantly, right? Somebody puts a gun to your head, you know, maybe, okay, well, maybe you're, you're reluctantly, you have to, you know, but... God didn't do that. God had a zeal to send Jesus. Isaiah 53 puts it this way. It pleased him to crush him. Why? Was God, did God not love Jesus? Did God, was he, was he, some people have said, well, God's cruel. God, you know, why would God do this to Jesus? Well, no, it wasn't that. By the way, Jesus was a willing partner in this. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly. Why would God have a zeal to send Jesus knowing that the cross was coming? Why would God have a a, a pleasure in crushing him? It's because of the greatness of his love for you and me. 
This is what Christmas is about. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Father, we thank you for the amazing gift of your son Jesus Christ. Thank you for your heart of love for us. Thank you, Lord, for the assurance that a Savior like the one we have is able to save completely. Thank you for the assurance, Lord, that whatever we may face, he is with us. What an amazing gift you've given us. We worship you, we praise you, and we honor you this morning. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to respond to you.